With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Praise the Lord. Here we are. We are on our first session of the healing and deliverance ministry. We're excited to be here. And we know that God is going to do some amazing things here in our study. Uh, so I want to welcome everyone on the class, on the call, who's, those who are watching video, streaming live, and those who are listening via telephone. So uh, we're going to begin again. We are going to start with the apostolic anointing and ministry. And if you, when you're looking at this, uh, you have to follow along with me with the notes that I provided with for you. And we're going to open up some uh, open up some windows here that we're going to see things that we uh, never saw before because I have other resources here that we're going to look at as far as like Greek and Hebrews and all that stuff like that. So. With the notes, it's going to really open up your mind to what God is saying here in these verses. Amen. So let's begin. We're going to start with the first section, which is apostolic anointing and ministry. And if you look at the first section in front of you, it says God is raising up an apostolic people. So basically, that's you. That's me. Everyone that takes on the Great Commission is considered apostolic. When you look at the church, when the church first started, there were no pastors. There were no actually offices of teachers or evangelists or what have you uh, as far as an office is concerned in Ephesians 4.11. When you look at the book of Acts, the first thing you'll notice that the apostles were sent. It mentions the apostles and the apostles only because that is the first office ever mentioned as far as an office is concerned in the New Testament. So the church is really apostolic. They just don't realize that they have broke away from that and they consider themselves, well, I'm this or I'm that denomination and that denomination. But the real, the real church is apostolic. They just don't know it. They don't realize it. And the problem that we see here, since they don't know it, they don't know how to fully function as an apostolic church or ministry or as a person. So as we're going to look in the text, we're going to see what actually does it mean to be apostolic as we, as we look at our verses, you're going to see how we're going to merge from being apostolic and how we're going to merge into the part of healing and deliverance, how it all merges in together and how all kinds of things come into play as far as even deliverance is concerned. Because when you read the book of Acts, it's, it's noticeable that it goes from stage to stage. It goes from one extreme to another. And you see more things happening, unfolding, as the apostles Peter, James, John, and who have you are start getting active in their ministries. Okay, so let's look at the first section as we see in one one here. It says, God is raising up an apostolic people. And it says, apostles are sent ones. The apostles are sent ones. So if you're not, you don't have to, you're what you consider yourself a post-ascension apostle. A post-ascension apostle. Now, we are not the original 12 from the Lamb, but we are post-ascension people, are considered apostolic. Or apostles. So look at the first verse in Mark chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And actually what I'll do, I'm going to back it up to get a full context of what's going on here. It's like I always do. Some people could understand it. I don't like to just to quote one verse, even though I have it in the notes. But I'm going to just give you all a full uh, rendition of it from the first verse all the way down. So we hit verses 14 and 15. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And it says here, and he answered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand, so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. This is speaking of Jesus. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful, lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Verse 7. 
a great multitude now begins to follow Jesus. It says, but Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from, the Gal from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Odomia and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude. When he heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. So he told his disciples that a small, that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many. So that as many had afflictions pressed about him to touch him, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Verse 13. And he went up to the mountain and called to him those he wanted him for himself, wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Amen? So again, verse 14 and 15 is the first section when we see the apostles being sent out. Sent out. I'm going to read in the Amplified Bible. I don't know if you have access to that, but it says in the Amplified. And he appointed twelve disciples so that they would be with him for instruction. So that they would be with him for instruction, okay? And so that he would send them out to preach the gospel as apostles, that is, as special messengers, watch this, personally chosen representatives. You see how the Amplifier expounds on the text. I'll read it again for better clarity. If you have an Amplified Bible, I suggest you read it side-by-side uh, side with a King James, as I do, so it opens up and expounds on your understanding of the text. I'll read it again in the Amplified. And he appointed 12 disciples so that they would be with him for instructions and so that he could send them out to preach the Gospels as apostles, that is, his special messengers, personally chosen representatives, watch this, and to have authority and power to cast out demons. Now, when we go back to the, the original or the word send them out or sent, it's from the Greek. Look at it on your, on your nose. Look at your insights there. The word sent is from the Strong's 649 and it's the Greek apostello. Apostello. And basically the word apostello means to send out on a mission as an ambassador of a kingdom. You see, now, what you are, what we are, are ambassadors of the kingdom. And when ambassadors of a kingdom, they have people, representatives, who go out and do the work. You see, so since we are part of the kingdom of God and we are his ambassadors, we all have a mission. You have a mission. I have a mission. We need to find out what our mission is. Okay? So once you understand your mission, you know your, what your calling is, your apostolic, you have to know what your mission is. This is what God reveals to you little by little, because your mission may not be my mission, and my mission may not be your mission. Just because you walk in the apostolic gift and calling doesn't necessarily mean all one size fits all. We have different things to do. Amen? So look at the word apostle then. It's from the Strong 652. 652. And what is an apostle? Here it is. Here's the definition. A delegate, an ambassador, one who has been sent, on a military mission as a representative of a kingdom, literally a sent one. Now, notice what it says here. It says a military mission. When it comes to the ones being sent, God looks at it as a military assignment. Oh, some of us don't realize that because we are all in the army of God. And what we are doing, or we are forgetting that we've been, we have been enlisted in the army, a spiritual army, you see. And God looks at it as a military mission, you see, because we are all soldiers, as the song says, so I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. But believe it or not, that is true because the way God looks at us as being sent out soldiers on the plains, on the field, and the field is filled with all kinds of things principalities of power that come down on the earth, and we're going to get down into that later down the line, how they do so. 
But you see how the how it, it starts to resonate because who you are, you're representing Christ, who is the head of the church, and he has sent you out, he has sent me out, and he has given us all power as he gave the apostles, as he gave the uh, disciples. He's giving us all the power. He has given them all the authority. Now, what does it exactly mean to have power? We know what the word power means, but when you look at the power there in the text in verse 15, look what it says. I don't think you can see this. But it says in the original Greek, it says uh, power basically means uh, in the sense of ability, privilege, something that's forced, a capacity, competency, mastery, mastery concretely a magistrate, superhuman, potent, potent take, take token of control, delegated influence, authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, strength. All that comes from that word, he gave them power. He gave them power. So in the Greek, that's what it actually means. Exousia, that's the word. Exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-E. If you have the blue letter Bible, you can go look at that verse. And this is why you can look up verses in the Strong's the reason why you have the notations of the reference 649 and 652, as you see on the, on the inside, as far as said an apostle, what we could do is you can go to the Strong's Concordance or Blue Letter Bible, and you look up that number, or you have a Strong's Concordance in your home, a hard copy, the thick, big, big uh, book. You can look up the word, and it opens up your mind exactly what God is saying. So you can see the strength. What it actually means when Jesus says you have power, you don't realize that. You see, because the enemy doesn't want you to know the, all the powers you, you, you have. You see, he doesn't want, he wants to keep you ignorant, he wants to keep you blind, so when you walk out there, he makes you feel like you're just like everyone else. But the devil is a liar, because you have all the authority and some. All of it and some. You see? So, when we look a little further down, look at the next insight that we see here under the next under apostle. It says the major focus of Jesus' ministry was to train and prepare men to be apostolic, to go forth and to advance the kingdom of God. You see? So again, the main focus of Jesus' ministry was to train and prepare men to be what? Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Baptist. Methodist, whatever? No. Jesus' ministry was to train men and women of God to be apostolic. Why? Because all because what coincides before what we have just read. This is the reason why he's doing what he's doing here in the text. As, as a present-day modern post-essential apostle, my job is to do the same thing, is to train and prepare men and women to be apostolic. That's why we have these sessions, because my mandate is to prepare and train up a folk so that they can go out and do and be better equipped for the assignment, watch this, that God has given them. You see, once you understand your assignment, whatever I say, whatever I teach, and whatever the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and shows us, then we'll be better equipped for our training, for our assignment, and for everything God, want, God wants us to do. Okay? So now, the apostolic people are sent by God on a mission, a unique assignment, as I said before. Apostolic people are anointed to break into new territories with supernatural power of God. You see, when you're apostolic, God sends you into a specific territory because you have taken up the calling. You have, you have accepted who you are as an apostolic leader or disciple, or whatever you want to label, label yourself, because the Bible says we're all called to preach. We're all preachers. Some people say, oh, you're a preacher. No, we're all called. You know Jesus Christ. He sent the great commission to everybody. We're all called to preach. You're a preacher too. You may not be preaching, maybe in a public setting, but God will always set up someplace, somewhere, sometime for you to proclaim the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that makes you, quote, unquote, a preacher. Okay? So again, the apostolic people are anointed to break into new territories. Now watch this. God breaks apostolic anointings for new territories. It's not the same territory that's been from the past. You see, this is the reason God is trying to raise up an apostolic people because he's trying to hit territories that are new, what he's established, what's out there in the field. Some churches, what they do, they build churches and churches three or four on the same block. That is not apostolic. 
that's flesh. You see, because we have become com competitive. I want to steal your members, and I want, you know, come to my church. My church is better than your church. That's not of God. And we see so much of that that's prevalent all over the United States. And New York City is rampant. I know one church, one neighborhood not too far from me, about, not, I don't know, maybe say 15, 20 minutes from here. And if you go like a, a, a couple of blocks, there has to be at least 10 churches within a two-block radius. And I kid you not. That's how crazy it is. But when we're looking at the apostolic, we're looking into new territories. God is going to put you in a different region. Am I saying you're going to move from where you live? Possibly. Maybe not. But he will put you in different territories where your message, what you have learned, will put you in a position that you can share. You see, where there's no uh, anybody in that situation or that territory that knows what you know. As I told Pastor Yvonne, who's one of our staff members, I told her, when you come back from your trip from Africa, you live in Washington, yes. But what God's going to do, I told her, and I spoke prophetically to her, I said, when you come back from, from Africa this summer, what God wants you to do is this with your husband. He wants you to come back and establish your church in Seattle, Washington. Why you say that, Apostle? Why? Because if you look at Seattle, Washington, it's a, very, it's a dead zone, and she affirmed that. It's not that much going on as far as the Christianity is concerned. People out there, something up with that whole uh, area of, of Seattle, Washington is dark, is dreary, it's like spiritually dead. And when people, a lot of churches that set up camp there don't make it because they have the wrong mindset, they don't have the right, uh, uh, they don't have the right anointing. They may have an anointing, but they have, don't have the right anointing. You need an apostolic anointing to go into dead territories. Because why? Because the apostolic anointing is anointing that's going to break barriers, it sets up camp, and establishes new things in the territory. So I told Pastor Yvonne, again, when you come back from Africa, you go back to Seattle, Washington, and everything you've learned, you set up camp there, and you establish your church, and you teach, and you train, and you preach, Everything that God has shown you as far as the apostolic is concerned in that area, because in that area, no one knows too much about it, you see? So that is what we must do. When God sends us to a place, it's because it's something new, fresh, and that's the assignment where he has sent you. Amen? Okay, let's look down a little further. As I said before, apostolic people are known to break into new territories with the supernatural power of God, and God is moving his church out of passivity, meaning being passive, being like, like, you know, like just lazy, so to speak. Now, listen, it says, to arise and advance into new unevangelized territories. You see? To, to arise and advance new unevangelized territories. God doesn't need us to preach to the choir. You see? He doesn't us to evangelize places that are saturated with churches. He needs us to go to places that know, don't know God that don't know the gospel, that don't know about healing, that don't know about deliverance. He wants to set you up, put me as well, in these situations, in these territories. Why? Because that is a place that is uh, not known of what God is doing. They don't have no knowledge. Yeah, they may believe in God, but they have no understanding of the apostolic mission, you see? And when you're apostolic, God will put you in these places so you can uh, do what he has called you to do with your assignment. Okay, now let's look at one other thing here. We see that the Holy Spirit is apostolic. As we go to our second point here, or B rather, the Holy Spirit is apostolic. A key verse that you see here is what? Luke 24 and verse 49, which says, Behold, Jesus speaking, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on high. Again, the word power is the same word, exousia, you see? But again, he says, behold, behold, I send. I send. So when we look at the insights below, we see the following. Jesus was sent. The 12 apostles were sent. The 70 disciples were sent. And you see here, the Holy Spirit comes upon us as believers to send us into the world to advance the kingdom of God, what? Supernaturally. Supernaturally. All the power that you have is a supernatural power, and it has to be displayed. It has to be shown. 
It's not so he hid in your pocket and once in a while a little tongue here, a little tongue there. No, God wants to supernaturally demonstrate the power of God in you, whether it be by the laying of hands, by the casting out of, de of demons, whether healing the sick, we're opening eyes the blind, praying for those who can't walk, can't talk, what have you. It is a supernatural power that God wants to go and show to the world. This is why he says, I send you. He sends them with what? With power. He gives you power. He told them here to wait. Eventually, they received it in Acts chapter 2. They waited. They went. You know the story of upper room in Acts chapter 2. When they waited, they received it. Amen? So again, look at the notes here we see. The Holy Spirit comes upon us, believers, and sends us into the, into the world to advance the kingdom of God supernaturally. And we are called, called, notice the boldness, to be an apostolic people, set apart and send out by God to accomplish a specific mission. Now, let's go to our next section here. Apostles and spiritual opposition. Apostles and spiritual opposition. Okay, now I want to look at the book of Acts. Acts 13, and we're going to read verses 4 through 12. So let me get it up on my, on my computer screen here. Acts 13, 4 through 12. All right, hold on. Here we go. Acts, 4, Acts 13, 4 through 12. It says here, preaching in Cyprus. I'll break it up. No, as a matter of fact, I'll, just, I'll read it from there. So being out from the Holy Spirit, they sent on to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the land island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus who was the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was, who, was, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, all full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a darkness fell on him and went around seeking some one to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, notice, if you will, what it says there in verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. When did he believe? When he saw what had been done. When he saw what had been done. You see? It was the act of what had happened to this so-called sorcerer, Elimus, when he saw what happened, what Paul did, he cursed him. What happened is that when the proconsul saw this, it made him a believer instantly. So what God is trying to say to us in this section here is the same thing. When you operate in specific miracles and things you, from your own hands, people who don't know Jesus, it strikes a nerve. They see, it seems to get their attention right away. Along with preaching the word of God, the apostles did signs and wonders. They go hand in hand. You work them together. So don't ever think that you cannot do it because we just read it before that what Jesus said. He said, I send you. He didn't say, I send some of you. He didn't say, I'm going to send a few of you. No, he made a general statement. I send you. You're a disciple. I'm a disciple. We're all disciples. If I'm a disciple, I'm including in that sense. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're included in that sense. Amen? So, we're going to look at a few things here. Look at everything that's underlined there. They all have significance. You see? Let's look at the text again from our notes. So, being sent out. Notice that's underlined. Look further around. With Bilinus the social, which stood them, underlined. Then Saul, also called Paul, filled 
with the Holy Spirit. That too is underlined. Notice, notice the conditions here. And then the hand of the Lord is upon you, you shall be blind. He put a curse on him. And verse 12, then the proconsul believed. Okay? So when we look at the insights according to the text, we see this, the following. The apostles were sent out by the Holy Ghost to do what? To invade territory. Hallelujah. To invade new territory. They encouraged spiritual opposition in the form of the sorcerer Elimus. So what happens is this. Don't think because you have all this power that the enemy is not going to try you. Because he will. The same thing we see here with Elimus the sorcerer. He saw what probably was going on, you see, and he wanted to check them out. He wanted to see what probably what Paul was doing. You see? And the, the funny thing is this. It tells, it tells us a few things about this man. Not only was a sorcerer, but he's a false prophet. In verse 6, it tells us, tells us that. You see? Now, when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet. A false prophet. So sorcery can walk in the prophetic. <laughs> oh, my God. Watch that. Sorcery can have a false pretense of the prophetic. It may sound good. It may look good. And people could do miracles, but it could be the, a spirit of sorcery. And look what it says, a Jew who was named Bar-Jesus, who was a proconsul, a Jew, and he didn't believe. Just because a person is born Jew doesn't mean they're saved. This person's a Jew. He's a proconsul, but he's not saved. Okay? All right. Let's look further down. Apostolic, I'm sorry, the sorcerer was attempting to influence and control the Roman ruler. The sorcerer was attempting to influence and control the Roman ruler. And also we see that apostolic people fearlessly confront spiritual opposition and move in the supernatural power of God. You have to walk without fear if you want to be apostolic. You can't be fearful. You have a boldness about you. You have a strength about you because God is putting in you. You have to know how to gear in the right direction. Sometimes people take boldness and they abuse it to, over, you know, to abuse people with their mouths or with their actions. And a lot of men have that thing when they are bold, but they're, they're controlling. That's not the spirit of Christ. Christ is a humble spirit. You know, so it's control, but it's walking in the spirit of love and humility. You know, there's a difference. So we still know apostolic people fearlessly confront spiritual opposition. You don't have to be afraid of the devil, nor his false prophets, nor his sorceries, nor his tricks, nothing. You don't have to be afraid of him. But a lot of Christians are afraid of the devil. Now, let's go down. Let's look about another example here, opposition in Philippi. Opposition in Philippi. Acts 16, 16 through 18, it says, Now it happened, as they went to prayer, that a certain girl possessed with a spirit of divination, meta, notice it's underscored, possessed with a spirit of divination, who brought her master's prophet by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she said for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to her, said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. Notice, if you will, he said to the Spirit, not to her. He's told, he spoke to the Spirit in her. That's the problem that we see. When it comes to deliverance, it's not the person, but what's in the person. And notice, if you will, the male gender, as far as the spirit is concerned, there are no female demons. Why do you say that? Because look what it says in the text. The final verse, the final sentence in the text says, and he, not she, he came out that very hour. He. So when it comes to gender, when it comes to angels, or demons, there are no women, there are no female uh, uh, angels. Anyone that tells you that, if you, if you heard that, it's, it's false. I've heard many people say about female angels, you see paintings, and all kinds of stuff you'll see that people say, but in the Bible does not, anywhere in the whole 66 books of the Bible, mentions an angel of female gender. And even demons who are fallen angels are also a male as far as their gender is concerned. Okay, now we're going to get into this text. Look at the insights here. Paul and Silas were sent, again, by the Holy Spirit into the city of Philippi, which we see in verse 10. They encouraged spiritual opposition, I'm sorry, they encountered spiritual opposition 
in the form of a woman with the spirit of divination. Literally, a python. A python spirit. That's what it means in the text. In the Greek, the word divination is python. Literally, a python characterizing her as one inspired by Apollo, which is a god worshipped at Pytho, Delphi, the spirit was prevailing, a prevailing spirit influencing the city and region. Oh, that is so important. You have to find, got to get that. Look at that. It says the spirit was prevailing, is a prevailing spirit influencing the city and region. Now do you understand when it comes to the apostolic mission why you have to go into certain cities, certain towns, certain territory because we are beacons of light and we have the power over these people, over these spirits in these regions and these territories. We have more power. One of you, one of me has more power than 100,000 demons. We have more power than all, than all of them because it's not about numbers. It's about greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So it doesn't matter there's a million demons there. You have authority. You have power, as it says, and you go into this city because in that city, that town, that region, it was set up. They have set up camp. They may have been there for years and years and years, like where I live here in New York City. They have to serve them, and there's always a, a bad neighborhood in every, every place where you live in the United States. There's all good territories and bad territories. But you notice, if you will, in the bad, bad neighborhoods, it's, it's more crime, more things happening. Why? Because the demons there have taken, taken control. They have set up camp. And the reason why they have an access then, they have set up camp because the people in that region are, are turned over to wickedness and they don't want God. So they have invited the spiritual principalities and powers in their region and have welcomed those spirits. Even though there's a church on the corner, they don't care about that. They're more, they're more interested in worshiping the devil and, and practicing their sin so that enemy has full right access to be there. Like I've always said in the past, it's a jurisdiction thing when it comes to the things of the spirit in heaven. Heaven is... Um, up and above, but even though uh, on the earth there's a jurisdiction going down, there's a court in heaven, and the enemy steps up to God in the heavens and says, "Listen, I got, I got all authority to be in that city, in that region." And God will probably say, "Why? Because they don't love you, they don't follow you, they don't seek you." And God says, "You're right, they don't." So you basically tie God's hands when it comes to certain things. Not that God can do it, he can do all he wants, but when it comes to things on the earth, you've got to realize that man has dominion over the earth. He lost it in the Garden of Eden because of Adam's sin, but he, Jesus Christ won it back and took the keys away from Satan, so now we have the dominion over the earth. So being that said, demons and devils, they don't have authority. They borrow authority through people's bodies. Oh, my God. They use people's bodies and they use people because they're, they're spirits. So they use people's bodies to take control of things. They enter people's bodies, and then they set up camp. They set up salt for uh, churches. They set up like Church of Satan, all kinds of things like that, uh, botanicas, brujeria, witchcraft, senses, all these things they set up through people. They're spirits. They don't have a body. But notice again of the word python. It's interesting about the word python because a python in the natural is a snake, right? It's a snake, but it's not a poisonous snake. What does a python do? Number two. Number one, it seeks heat. It seeks activity. When it goes up to you, it's, if it's if something moving, a python will go back, will go by something, like an object. If it's like a cactus tree, a python will just go right by. But if he sees a little mouse moving around, he's going to attack it. Okay? So a python spirit is looking for activity. It's looking for activity is looking for something roused up, like a real python, a real snake. And it's not poisonous, but what does a python do? It wraps itself, watch this, it wraps itself around you, and it squeezes all the life around you, so you gasp into air so much that it chokes you, and eventually you die. It's a gradual death. Oh, my Lord. A python spirit, as we see here, the word python, is a spirit that gradually grabs you, and disables you that you cannot function in whatever assignment that God has given you. Oh, Lord Jesus. It wants to cripple you. It wants to wrap you up. The same here, what the woman was doing, she was following Paul to do something to him because he was on a mission. And she wanted to go upon him and probably put some kind of hex on him, but she was sadly mistaken because she wasn't going to prevail. 
she didn't know who she was messing with. You see, so she was following Paul and mocking Paul, whatever he was saying. But even though she was following in the body, she wasn't following him in the spirit. You got to catch that one. Got to catch that one. She was following Paul with her body, but she or the demon, but she wasn't a disciple or follower of Paul in the spirit. She was following him in the natural. Okay, I say that for a reason because I heard someone teach not too long ago about uh, something else that occurred about a false prophet. If I was to mention his name, you would know him very well. There was a controversy going on about him. And they were saying, well, uh, you know, witches follow, follow Paul. I said, witches may have followed Paul because they were walking behind him trying to mock him, but they weren't, they weren't disciples of Paul. That's the difference between following and following. You see, they weren't disciples. They weren't following Paul in that sense, okay? So just because a witch may be following you around doesn't mean they're following what you say or believe what you say. They will mock you, but doesn't mean they are followers of Jesus Christ and disciples of you, okay? So let's go on. Look what it says. Paul confronted the spirit and drove it out. He confronted the spirit, not the person, and drove it out. We're going to learn down the line how we speak to spirits, not to people, so we can cast them out of people. You see, we have to speak to the to the mountain. The mountain is in their body. Apostolic people are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his timing in confronting spiritual opposition. Apostolic people are sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his timing in confronting spiritual opposition. When it comes to everything in the natural is in timing, but it comes in heaven, there is no clock. So it's already established. You got that? It's already established in heaven because there's no clock ticking. But on the earth, there's a specific time that it has to be manifested in the earth. As we walk in the apostolic anointing, God will strategically set up a time for you to walk and operate in the gift. And he will strategically operate in this so that everything will fall into place. We don't go out looking for demons. We just happen to walk our walk. And if they happen to come across our path, we deal with it. Paul wasn't looking for a devil. He was walking, doing about his own way, and it happened to manifest another woman. You see, there was a specific timing that this had transpired. It wasn't that Paul, again, looked for this. It happened because according to uh, what the Lord had wanted it to be, he expected it to be at that specific place, that time, and that season. You see, so when you walk in your apostolic gift, calling, anointing, always walk in a, in a, in a way that you're not looking for stuff to happen. You're just walking in obedience and walking just alert, being alert that something can happen, you see, and be well-equipped and be ready in due season, you see. You have to be ready so that when something does come in, something does transpire, something does come up, you're ready to fight. You're ready to go. Okay, let's go on to the apostolic anointing is a breaking anointing. The apostolic anointing is a breaker anointing. Now, look what we see here. It says the key verse is Micah chapter 2, verse 13. Micah is an Old Testament minor prophet. And look what it says. The one who breaks open, the breaker, will come before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go by it. Their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. Another verse also that coincides with that as a as a confirmation, Mark 16, 17. Jesus said, And these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means hurts you. You have to believe that. But what the enemy will do I've seen it so many times, he will try to scare you. He will try to tell you, I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to do this to you. When it comes to deliverance, I've seen it, and I've, I've, I've experienced one incident, also I'll just share in a minute, when a, when a demon, will, see, they don't have a voice. It's amazing how they operate. They don't have a voice, they're a spirit, so they use the person's vocal cords, and that's why it sounds raunchy. It sounds like that because they don't have a voice. So they use the person's vocal cords, and they don't know, it doesn't know how it doesn't come out right, because it's not the person speaking, 
Oh, Lord Jesus. It's not the person speaking. It's the spirit that's in them speaking, and the spirit doesn't know how to function through the body properly, and that's why the voice comes out raunchy, scary, sounds like a, like a, like a monster. You see? And they, they, they're very happy about that because it's there to intimidate you and make you go away. It make you feel like you're inadequate. To make you feel like you're not going, they're not going anywhere. You're not going to take me out of here. You see? So they want to scare you. That's what they want. That's their mission. I remember, not, this is about a long time ago, many, many years ago, I went to a service with this brother of mine who's a pastor now, and we had, we were the same thing. We were in an apostolic mission, went to a person's home. The person who invited us, this is amazing, the person who invited us to preach in the house had a demon. Oh, Jesus. The person, the host, the woman, she said, come to my house. I want to have a home service. We, at that time, we were preaching all over the, uh, Manhattan, different homes all over New York City. And she invited us. She heard about us. And she said, come to my house. I want you to come to my house and have a service. Sure, we'll go to your house. So we go. They have everything set up like it's a party. Potato chips, soda. I, I don't know what they were expecting. And everything, okay, we'll just, let's just get, let's, let's, let's get down to business. Listen, before we even started to preach, we started to pray. And the woman, the host, she fell on the floor and she started squirming like a snake. I've never seen anything like this in my life until I saw a human body go back and forth like a snake. It was the most weirdest thing. And what did we do? We cast the devils out of that person. She got delivered. It was amazing. She didn't speak. She didn't say nothing. She was, she was happy. She was delivered. She probably even knew she had it. But she was full of the devil. And she even, you see, and, and something in her asked her, which was God, something, somebody must have prayed for her. And we don't know what this woman was involved with. Who knows if she was involved with witchcraft and stuff. Because a lot of people, they're seeking uh, things, spiritual things, and they don't know any spiritual things. They don't know the true God of the Bible, so they're just trying to get. So they invite you, oh, come to my house, and they may mean well. Little do you know, they have a demon themselves. Okay, yep, that was, that's what happened. And we, she got delivered, set free, and then we were able to preach, teach, and God was glorified and edified. Amen. Now, let's look at some insights here as far as the apostolic anointing is a breaker anointing. Breaker is from the Old Testament, 6555, means to break out, to open up to break open, to use violence, to break into. The breaker is Jesus Christ, who has broken through all spiritual opposition and gone before us. Amen. Hallelujah. There is no situation that is impossible for God. He breaks through the prison gates to set the captives free. Watch this. Apostolic believers exercise spiritual authority to get breakthrough and to set other people free. Apostolic people are not passive or conservative. That sounds like me, and that sounds like you too. You're not conservative. They forcefully advance the kingdom of God and bring through breakthroughs. That sounds like me. That sounds like you. Okay? The anointing upon you is for breakthrough. You better highlight that one. Highlight that in one of your notes. The anointing upon you is for breakthrough. Oh, my Lord. You see, you have to use the anointing because it's for breakthrough. Where's the breakthrough? We just read three verses, Micah 2.13, Mark 16.17, and Luke 10.19. Those are things that are showing. These are signs and wonders and casting out devils. Those are signs of breakthrough. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, number two. How demons enter and oppress people. We're going to look at that one. Let's look at the anointing upon Jesus. The anointing upon Jesus, the key verse here is Acts 10 and 38, which says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Notice they go together, Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good, and healing all who are oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. Doing good and healing. Doing good and healing. Doing good and healing. All who are oppressed of the devil. Not a few. Not a some. No matter what they look like, 
They look what they smell like. Homeless people are full of de devils and demons. We got to consider them too. A lot of the people around here, especially homeless, you hear them talking, you know, they're mimicking. They got devils upon devils. They got lesions. Okay? So we have to consider those people as well. Now, the word oppressed and what we just read, it's from the Strong's 2616. Means to hold down, follow this, to hold down by exercising spiritual power against, to exercise over, over. Oppressed means, again, to hold down by exercising spiritual power again. Okay? So evil spirits hold people down by exercising spiritual power over them. You see? Evil spirits hold people down in the spirit. Not in the natural, but in their spirit. They're, they're suffocated. It's that python spirit again. It's got them racked up. You see? They can't move in the spirit. They can't do the things they want to do. And then you wonder why they're acting the same, why they're speaking the same, because they're bound. They're oppressed. They're bound by spirits. They don't know it, but you know it. And you need to cast those spirits out of them. Also, it requires the exercise of greater spiritual power to set people free from spirits. We'll talk about the breaker anointing. Okay, the breaker anointing. So, you see that from the text, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And you too, and so am I. Jesus was anointed with power. So are you, so am I. Jesus was authorized by the Father to set people free and had the power to do so, as we see in 1 John 3 and 8. I'm going to turn there real quick. 1 John 3 and 8. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the purpose of the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. I'll read in the Amplified. Verse John 3, 8. The one who practices sin, separating himself from God and offending him by acts of disobedience, indifference, or rebellion, is of the devil, and takes his inner character and moral values from him, not God. For the devil has sinned and violated God's law from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of of the devil. That's from the Amplified. I love it. Powerful verse. Powerful verse. But again, notice it says, the one who practices sin is what? Disobedient, indifferent, and rebellious. It, and it says, is of the devil. One who practices sin is of the devil. It says it takes his inner character and moral values from him. Takes his inner character and moral, moral values from him. From who? From the devil and not God. Moral values don't come from God when we're not following God. They come from the enemy. Atheists consider themselves have being having moral character, but they don't. They think they do. They think they do. Let's look on. Let's look at an example of Jesus' ministry of deliverance. An example of Jesus' ministry of deliverance. We'll look at Luke chapter 4, verses 33 through 36. Luke chapter 4, 33 and 36. If you're following the notes, you have it right in front of you. It says, Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of unclean, unclean demon. Where was the man? The man was in the synagogue. Hello? He was in church. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they came out. With what? With authority and power. He did what? He commanded the spirits to come out. He didn't rationalize. He didn't reason. He didn't say, do me a favor. He said, if it's okay with you. No, he commanded him to go. He told him, out. Hit the road, Jack. Don't come back. Okay, let's look at some insights. The man in the synagogue was a believer. Oh, I wouldn't say a believer, born-again believer, but he was a Jew. A Jew. So you can say a believer, but not really a believer. He's a Jewish person who believes in God. 
So this is sure a person could believe in God and be possessed of a devil. Hello. The man has several spirits dwelling within him. Several. He might have had a thousand, like a legion. Only God knows. The strong man or leading spirit was an unclean spirit. The strong man or leading spirit was an unclean spirit. You see, when it comes to when it comes to spiritual things in the the, uh, the the demonic world, there's always a strong man. There's always a chief. There's always a head. There's one who rules the other demons within that body. There's always a head. He's he's a chief demon in that body because there's many demons that's in that body. So he tells the de the main demon tells the main spirit tells the rest of the spirits test test them with this, tempt them with that, suicide, depression, anxiety, fear, doubt. Lust, anger, murder, all kinds of stuff. Every spirit has a name. Every demon has a name, but they fall in rank. You see? Like Jesus spoke about a strong man. We'll see that later on in our study. There's a strong man, a head guy, a top dog, when it comes to the spiritual realm in the demonic world. Always. There's always a commander. This, this is not rampant. This is not just, let's just wing it. The devil has a military a mindset, just like when he was in heaven, everything is the same way. Everything is structured by rank and, and military. Like we read earlier, it's a military mindset when it comes to the kingdom of God. It's military. God has a military mind. When you look up all over the Bible, all the battles, how come the, oh, the Israel always won? They got their wisdom from God because God strategically has a military mind. He knows how to win battles. So in the, in the spiritual realm, the demons who were once in heaven, they fell, they came to earth, they didn't lose that. So they know how things operate in the military realm, how to operate, how to focus, how to, how to run things. So they, they follow order. They follow the boss. Who's the boss? The main devil in that body. And when the devil say, you do this, you do that, and you do that, and that's how they're able to function, and that's how they're able to succeed. Now, these demons tormented the man with lust and perversions. Lust and perversions. The anointing upon Jesus disturb the spirit. You see? The anointing on you will disturb any devil. They're going to they're sense the presence of God in you is going to make them uncomfortable. And that's good. That's good. The more, the more strong you in the presence of God, the more, the more not you're more anointed, but more, more, the more you're going to feel you'll have the presence of God, uh, like you stir up the gifts of God and you feel the presence of God so strong upon you, they're going to they're sense that. They're going to see that. They'll see the light in you but with something about you, when you've been on fire for Jesus and you're walking, you're, you've been on fire for God, you've been just, man, this is, my, this, is, this is my day. I've been worshiping God. I've been praying today. I've been reading my word. I feel on fire just like one of my good days because we all have bad days too. But that's something about that. The enemy could notice that. They could pick it up. Like I said before, them, they're like they have these senses like the, like the creatures, like the animal world. They can pick up things in the spirit that we can't even see. Okay. Now look at this. The spirit within the man manifested their presence by shouting out. The spirit recognized Jesus with, by, in his authority. Jesus responded challenge by asserting his authority over them, commanding them to leave, i.e., he directly confronted them. Again, he directly confronted them. Demons react violently in protest. A devil does not want to leave anyone's body. They don't want to leave. They want to stay there because they don't have a body. So they, when they get a body, they're ecstatic. We have a body. Now we can go, do, curse, do, kill, steal, destroy. A spirit can't do that, but if he gets a body, he can kill, he can steal, and he's just, he can destroy. You see? Because his chief master is the enemy. So a spirit says, well, we're going to follow the, uh, the father of darkness, so we're going to kill, steal, and destroy because we have a body. That's why when you see murders and, and all kinds of things out there, who's doing that? The person or the spirit behind the person? The spirit behind the person. The spirit of this world. You see? So, as we see here again, demons react violently in protest. They don't want to leave. Demons left the man, as we see in the text, and was free. Deliverance requires spiritual authority and power. Deliverance is, uh, requires spiritual authority and power. Okay. All right, we're going we're gonna to probably stop right there. And we, I don't want to get into this next section because it'll, it'll, it's going to keep going. So we're going to pick up the rest of this on Thursday as we continue.
and I said, that's when it was getting good. It's going to get better. So we're going to pick it up. Hold on to that marker in your, in your notes. We're going to be teaching about Jesus, teaching on deliverance. We'll go into that section in our next study, which is on Thursday, okay? So with that being said, you can unmute your phones. And if there's anyone here that has a question regarding what was said on the notes, something they don't understand or they want to know something else, you're more than welcome to ask at this time. So you can, again, mute, unmute your phone, which I'll do right here so it's for Crystal. And you want to talk about anything real quick? Let's just discuss it. Um, you know how you told us of the story about the woman that was, um, she acted like a snake? Yeah. It actually happened. Um, I don't know if you remember that I commented to you about um, those my parents' friends that they were in church for like 30 years, and they uh -huh. were very religious. That actually happened to that lady in, in a prayer service as well. She acted that way like a snake, and she would actually go in between the chairs. But she, she was actually supposedly saved for like 15 or 20 years when that happened. And my mom still remembers it to this, this day, and she's like, oh, I still get chills because it was so, um, so, I mean, she would open her mouth literally like a snake. Who says she was saved? And how, how, do, how do we know that you, how you have an affirmation that she was saved according to what, who said that she was saved? I mean. Yeah, she, she was in the church and her husband as well for more than 15, 20 years. They were um, in ministry. They were praying over people. They were helping in the ministry. He was actually, her husband was even the youth pastor. And she and had a shirt. Yeah, they were, they were at a, just like you said, it was a prayer at a house. They would have prayer, they would alternate, you know, they had cell groups and homes. Mm -hmm. and they had a group like that, and this woman was really close to the pastor. She, she would um, help closely in the ministry. And when they were in prayer, this woman just collapsed and started acting like a snake and dragging on the floor and going in between the chairs and people's legs. Um, did you witness this? My mother did. I was little. I was probably about three years old. I don't remember. How do you know about their spiritual, uh, their spiritual, um, as far as them being what you said? Is that something you knew or is that something they told you? Uh, that was something my mom, she was actually very close to them in church because they were, they were the ones that were more, um, they were a lot more mature than my mom in Christ because my mom was fairly new. Mm -hmm. They had already been in church for about 12 years when my mom got to church. So these people were, were pretty, um, you know, they were pretty um, fed in church for a while. And, and even after that, they, they were continued in church. But the thing is that the weird part is, Apostle, that this lady, when she got home, she told her husband her friend was the one that dragged herself like a snake, not herself. So her, so friend what? her friend what? She put it on her friend. When she got home, this woman that... that acted like a snake, she told her husband that her friend had manifested a spirit like a snake. She didn't say it was herself. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's, that's something. That is something. Look, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who the woman was. Yeah, um, I, I do, I, but. I, I, you know, I, I, listen, I, things happen. Um, I don't oh. know her, the woman's spiritual walk. I don't know where she's still with Christ. But, um, you know, you have to be very careful. You know, you have to be very careful what you get yourself involved with because uh, yeah. the enemy will come into you, take, take, like the Bible says, don't give a foothold to the devil. And if we do oh. so, you never know what could happen. And it, it, you could be like, like we read, there was a man in the synagogue and, he had a devil, right? He was in church. Yeah. And we don't know people's lives, what we think we do, and only God knows their lives. So something like that is possible. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I think it didn't happen. I know it happened. But we don't know where they are spiritually. We don't know who these people are spiritually. And we have to be very careful what we get involved with, what we allow to come in our lives, who we get around. Because you mm -hmm. never know what could jump on us. We got to stay away from things. Mm -hmm. That's why I was saying earlier in the in the lesson, Paul wasn't looking for stuff. It happened. He came across stuff. 
same thing with Jesus. He didn't go on a demon mission, and he didn't tell the, de uh, the, the apostles or disciples, go out there and start doing, go look at the demons. No, they demons were just there. But yeah. sometimes people, when it comes to spiritual things, they get involved with certain things they shouldn't be getting involved with, and you never know what can happen at that point. Christians, too. Christians could be dibbing and dabbing with certain things they don't have no business in, and you have to be very careful what you get involved with because you never know what can happen. And just what happened with that woman, she had to learn the hard way. You see, something got a hold of her. You see? Only God knows what she was doing that, that her occurred. I'm not saying she was a Christian. Who knows? Only God knows our hearts. But it happened, it happened. I believe it happened. But yeah. only she opened up the door for something to happen. We open up yeah. doors. God doesn't open up the door. We open up doors for the devil to come in and take a legal right to do things for to us. Amen? Yes. Well, thank you, Chris, for sharing that. That's powerful. Anyone else? Yes. Apostle Gail, I, um, I, I believe that spirits can be transferred. So I, my question is, I went to a Bible study um, one time, and the, the minister was, she had anointing oil, and she went to each person, and she spoke over each person, and then she would anoint her hands and speak over the next person. Now, is that okay to do? Because I don't know, can spirits be transferred that way? Cause because she was anointing going from one person to another? Yeah, she was anointing. She anointed each one of our heads, and she spoke over each one of us. But can, like, just say if someone there may have had a demon or whatever, can that spirit be transferred from one person to another? Or no, because she was anointing it. If I would say not, not so much because she's anointing him, but it's what comes out of her mouth. Okay. What, what okay. she says. Like the Bible says, the light and the death and the power of the tongue. So whatever she proclaims and decrees and declares, if she, whatever she says, that takes mm -hmm. a whole new, uh, changes things in the spiritual atmosphere. Now, if she's just going from person to person, anointing with all I'm praying, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. But when she says something that comes out of her mouth, that takes a whole new ballgame. Whatever comes out of her mouth, it becomes, like I say, from the, from the natural to the supernatural, and then they become a transferable. Let's say she's praying for a person, and like I do, I pray for a person to receive this manifestation of healing. Boom. Right. That's a transferring, an impartation. You see? Okay. Now, uh -huh. if the person says, I pray over you that there'll be a transfer of a spirit, you got to be careful. You see? Right. What's what coming uh -huh. out of their mouth? So, again... Okay. Going from person to person, you're not gonna. That's nothing. But what comes out of your mouth, what you declare and decree, that's when we get into trouble. Okay. Okay. Man, that's a good question. I have we one. See, too. We, we see that a lot. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, and it just came to me for what you were saying. Um, when I grew up in church, because I, I I grew up um, in church for a while, not not all my life, but for my my first years. My mom, she was taught that um, when people are rebuking spirits, you're not to be looking, you're not to be browsing, you have to be praying or worshiping or glorifying God because if not, those spirits could come into you. Is that accurate? No. No. They, uh, you know, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil can't okay. do that. He doesn't want to be in you because Jesus is in you. So that, that's incorrect. The devil's not going to jump out of them. I think we've watched the movie Exorcist too many times when that devil came out of Linda Blair and jumped into the priest. That's just Hollywood. That doesn't happen to a real born-again, spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christian that's on fire for Jesus and walking right with God. There ain't no devil going to come out of that person and jump on you. So, you, you know, I understand you're saying you have to be all focused. No, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, that that's, that's incorrect. No. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, see that. That's inaccurate. But, if, you know, if there was a believer there, would that be a probability? If what? If there was an unbeliever, a believer in the church. If there's an unbeliever there. Yes, there is. That's right. Because they're going to try to go to these the places they can get a body, like I was mentioning earlier. That's a good possibility. Yeah. Yep, they can go into a person's body that's not filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, they can. Because they want a body, they love bodies, and if they can't get into yours, which they can't, they're going to get into somebody else's. So you have those people, that's why they always say, everybody stop praying. <laughs> when they're doing a deliverance, everybody stop praying. Get into the presence of God. And, and they're talking about, they don't, they're just making a general statement, 
because they don't know who's saved and who's not saved. You know, yeah. you can have a you can have a meeting with a hundred people. You don't know everybody who's there. You don't know them personal on a personal note. They could just be observers. They could be witches themselves. We don't know who these people are. So guess yeah. what? We have to. That's why they always tell them everybody should be praying because they know the ones that are praying are the ones that are, 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 are God's people. The ones that are not praying are not God's people, and they want the people that are not God's people to become God's people so that they don't get uh, uh, the devil, the spirit gets upon, upon them because there's a good, po good possibility that it could happen and that spirit could jump on them as well. Didn't, didn't Jesus, uh, when he cast out the devil, they went into a bunch of pigs? Remember that story? Yeah. They all went into a bunch of pigs because they wanted a, a body. They, they, that's, how, that's how low they'll go. They'll go into a bunch of pigs if they have to. They don't care. They don't well, care. The time that this happened with that woman that was um, dragging around like a snake, the, there was a frog in the house. I don't know what it was doing or how. In the spirit, when they cast it out, it went into the frog. I believe that. Mm -hmm. I and believe she, that. She says that little frog opening its mouth so wide and acting weird and like mm -hmm. it was crazy. Absolutely. They had to release yes. frog. That's right. Because, like I said, if it went into pigs, it can go into a frog, a dog, a horse, whatever. <laughs> That's why sometimes animals kill people. You ever notice why? That sometimes people, they're riding a horse and they die? Why is that? Remember the guy, uh, uh, guy for Superman? I forgot his name. Remember the original Superman? He, sure. died, from a, he died from a horse accident? Yeah. Remember that? It was an, that was tragic, right? You ever wonder how that was weird, how he just fell off that horse and broke his neck? Who knows? Who knows why that happened? Wow. Okay, I think I lost Crystal. She, uh, she must have actually got uh, thrown off. Okay, so we're going to close now, um, and then we'll pick it up. Like I said, Thursday, 11 o'clock. Um, oh, she came back. Okay, so you there? <laughs> there she goes. Oh, that was quick. You there, Crystal? Uh, I don't hear her. Okay. All right. She's listening. Anybody want to close in prayer? Or should I choose somebody? <laughs> Sister, <laughs> Sister Tony, you've been elected. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for the word today that has gone forth, Lord. We pray that our eyes have been uh, and our ears have been enlightened for your word, Father God. We thank you for the vessel that you placed in uh, Apostle Gail that has given us the word, Father. And uh, we just thank you for the anointing. Um, power, Lord, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, we pray, Lord, that um, we just go and have a blessed week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, sister. All right, guys, thank you for being here, and we'll see you again Thursday at 11 o'clock. Go, go in peace. Amen. Amen. I just came back. I got kicked off. I'm sorry. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.